Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. In John chapter 11, Jesus is hurling towards Passover. And this is one of the last recorded, if not the last recorded miracle that Jesus does before the events are set in motion for him to be crucified and buried and then his resurrection. And so we read this in John 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. It's important. He was ill. There's a certain man. Some scripture passages say a certain man. Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not result in death. No, it is for God. It, the sickness, is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lots going on there. And I saved the most confusing verses for next. So let's just park here and try to chunk it uh, in, in bite sized pieces for us. There's a couple of different things that I noticed this week and observed in these first five verses that I I feel like John is trying to communicate to us here in Cleveland, Ohio, 2023. My goodness, still weird to say. And the first thing that we need to understand is that John is telling a story. He's telling a story of Jesus He says there's a certain man named Lazarus, and he's sick. And he's from Bethany, this village. It's about, we're told in the the scripture here that it's about two miles outside of Jerusalem, just outside of the big city of Jerusalem. And Lazarus' sisters are there, and those names seem familiar to us if we've read the gospel before. The same village of Mary and her sister Martha. So you've got this family, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, And then John puts in quotations here, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick or ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair, which is curious that John puts it here in John 11 because that hasn't happened yet chronologically. We see that in chapter 12, verse 3, that that instance there of Mary wiping Jesus' feet with her hair doesn't happen until a chapter later. And so that's a little bit curious. Why is John putting it there? We'll, we'll answer some of the whys here in a minute. And so you got this family, and the sisters send word to Jesus as their brother is ill and in decline. He's, he's declining quickly. Lord, the one you love is sick. And there's a couple of main themes that keep repeating themselves over and over again in chapters 1 through 5. And the first one is the love or the affection of Jesus. 
The Greek word that's used here, there's a couple different Greek words for love. Agape is like this general kind of love that's used when Jesus commands us to love our enemies. It's specific, it's pointed. And then there's another Greek word, uh, phileo, which means to um, the, the close bond of friendship that is experienced between two people. I love my friend, fill in the blank. And John is making a point here over and over, explicitly and implicitly, that Jesus has a vast affection for this family. And specifically, the brother Lazarus. We're told, look at, look at early on, we're, we're told that it's uh, Mary, here's the implicit love. Mary, whose brother Lazarus lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his, hair with, wiped his feet with her hair. That's an implicit love there. Mary showing worship and affection to Jesus. And then John is saying that um, the sisters know that Jesus loves Lazarus, you see. Lord, the one that you love is sick. He's ill. And then when he heard this, Jesus said that the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. Jesus loved this family. His heart was towards this family. Jesus loved Lazarus like a brother. And John goes out of his way three times in the first five verses and then even more implicitly towards the end of the chapter, to tell us this story, to make sure that we know when we sit before the Scriptures, when we soak up the Scriptures, that to make sure that we fully understand that Jesus' heart towards this family was one of love. Deep love for Lazarus. Deep affection of Jesus for this family. The second the second big theme here in the first five, remember, heavy lifting off the, off the bat, is that of glory. Ben did a wonderful job a couple weeks ago, remember, speaking on the glory of God and what the glory of God looks like and means in our journey. And the glory of God is displayed here in a big way. So you've got love and you've got affection happening. And then here in verses 4 and 5, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So you've got the glory of the Father happening there, and you've got the glory of Jesus that's happening there. There's something curious about this man Lazarus and his illness that is um, foreshadowing the glory of God being displayed. And John is making a point here to communicate that to his audience, to his readers, to us here, that something is about to happen here. And it has to do heavily with the glory of God and the glory of Jesus. Something's getting ready to happen. Something is being stirred in the pot, if you will. God's glory, the Father's glory, Jesus' glory, that he would be glorified through it. There's something of the glory of Jesus that's at stake in this situation of Lazarus, this one that he loves, being sick, being ill, and in decline. 
And then we come to the most stunning word of the whole chapter. Remember, 44-some verses, 50 verses on the story of Lazarus. And the most stunning, cataclysmic word is two letters. So. So. Look at this turn of event. This is so curious. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Keep that. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What did he do when he heard that his friend was dying? He stayed where he was. Most scholars would agree he's like 30, 40 miles away from Bethany right now. And when he heard that his friend, whom he loved, was going to die, he didn't go immediately. And that is most curious. And that offends us when we think about this powerful emotion of love and care and affection for the ones that we love. And John is making a point to note here in verse 6 that it was because of love that Jesus let his friend die. What? What is going on? If you or I received word that a loved one of ours, someone you have so much of a deep affection for, was deathly ill, that the condition was terminal, that the prognosis was, didn't look good. If we received word, our first response would not be to stay 40 miles away, but to pick up, drop, every, drop everything, and go. And Jesus stayed where he was not one, but two more days. What is going on? What is happening? That's why this little word so, or therefore, because he loved them, therefore, he stayed. That's why so is so important and stunning. Later we read from both of the sisters, this was a consensus between Mary and Martha. Lord, if you were here, if you'd only been here, our brother would still be alive. What's going on, Jesus? Why did you stay put? Why did you stay distant when you knew you loved him and he was dying? Why did you stay away? It's the most shocking thing in the whole text, in the whole story. 
And from Paul's epistle and, and uh, 1 and 2 Peter, and we can, we, can, um, we can use therefore as a powerful teaching tool. And here in the narrative setting, in the storytelling, storytelling context, I believe that it's just as powerful. It's teaching us something about the love of God and how it's connected to his glory. There's something curious happening here because he stays put. He doesn't go. There's something deeper at work that John and I believe the Lord want us to see in this text as we, um, as we immerse ourselves in the topic of resurrection in the resurrection of the dead, and what life is all about, and the huge questions that we ask God. There's something that Jesus is trying to communicate to us very deeply about what God's love is, and what it looks like, and how it connects to his glory. Here's my best guess. How can this be love? This is why it's shocking. How can this be love that he stayed put? He could have spared Mary and Martha two days, 48 hours worth of agony and pain if he just would have gotten up and went to them. How can that be love, we ask? How can that be love? In fact, that feels like the very opposite of love to me. If it were me, I'd be like, where were I? I'd, I'd ask the same questions that Mary and Martha are asking and talking to one another about. Can you imagine in the two days in between when they saw Jesus show up on the scene and the talking between Mary and Martha? Where is he? I don't know. We sent word two days ago. He could have been here yesterday. I don't know where he is. Ugh. Jesus, where are you? Can you imagine the conversation that took place between them? But he wasn't there. How could that be love? The deeper thing with the glory of God here is that what Jesus is trying to communicate is that he's saying, I'm going to let this thing play out. I'm going to let it happen so that the glory of God can shine brightly. And that's what love does. Jesus is saying that's what love does. And in verse 40, later he says so that you would, he's talking to the sisters. He said, this happened so that you, me, you, 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 would see and experience the glory of God. Here's the three, 3.5, quickly. Here's the 3.5 points on why this so is so important. One, it shows us that God's love often allows pain and loss in the lives of his beloved. And if we don't have a gospel that encompasses that component, we don't have the gospel. God's love, divine love, 
often allows for pain and loss in the lives of his beloved. Secondly, God's love means, here's what it means. God's love means doing what you must to help the beloved see and experience or savor the glory of God. God, God's love means doing what you must, whatever it takes to help the beloved, the one who's loved, see the glory of God. After all, isn't Jesus' prayer in John 17, just a few passages later, all about him being glorified as the end of all things, that the place where this thing is headed is the glorification of the Son of God, namely Jesus Christ. That it's through His love for us that the glory of God shines most brightly. Cool? Not cool? <laughs> cool. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. The third is that God's love labors and suffers. Remember, Jesus died. God's love labors and suffers with the beloved. With what is eternally fulfilling, namely God himself. And that's an important component here because point th 3.5 is that God's love is always God-centered. It's always fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, this sickness, it's not going to end in death. It won't result in death. The result will be God's glory. God will get glory from this. God will get glory from this. And that's an important thing to remember when we're going through times of loss and through times of suffering, isn't it? That Jesus suffers with us and the end result is God's glory. It's really hard to remember that when you're going through it, isn't it? It's really difficult when the traumas of life are just stacking and stacking on your shoulders. It's too much to bear. What this passage says is that God's love is laboring and suffering right along with the beloved. And God's love is always focused on God. Okay, so now we get to the... Now we get to the quick part. Here we go. Verse 15. That's a lot of heavy lifting, and that's worth, th those first six verses are worth probably six months worth, worth of expository preaching, just to let you know. You just did it in like 15 minutes. So I know, I'm not trying to sell you short, but I think it's necessary to set it up for, um, for this thing of being immersed in the resurrection. Okay? So verse 15 is really important. And in verse 15, I find the reason for why I think that Jesus, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit is leading us to talk about the death and the resurrection of Lazarus this morning. Verse 15, he says, so then he told them plainly, after they weren't getting it, when he was like, Lazarus is sleeping, I'm going to wake him up. Told them plainly, hey, Lazarus is gone, he's dead. And for your sake... For your sake, 
I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. This is the reason why the Lord wants us to focus on this this morning and to lead us through this six-week series. For your sake, why? Think about it. Question the text. Why? Why is Jesus saying this is for your sake? So that you may believe. Well, believe what? That Jesus could raise the dead? Well, they'd, remember now, they'd already seen him raise the dead. They'd seen him do it, well, recorded. They'd seen him do it two other times, at least. If not four, if not five times, countless times. They know Jesus can raise the dead already. They've seen him do it. So why? Why is it for their sake? I'm glad I was not there so that you might believe. But let us go to him. The why is foreshadowing his own resurrection from the grave. He waits two days before he goes to his friend Lazarus. Quick rabbit trail. In Jewish culture in this time, there's this well uh, dug in belief that when a person died, that person's spirit would, would kind of hover in the room, if you will, for about three days. Part of that is just the practical nature of where, um, where medicine was at the time, frankly. Because sometimes they would think people were dead. And then like a day later, they'd be, they'd be like resuscitated. They weren't dead yet. Princess Bride, mostly dead. He's only mostly dead. Remember that one? The pit of despair. <coughs> that dude is my favorite in that whole movie. And so there's this belief that's held by most Jews in that time that the spirit of that person would just would sort of just hang out for like three days. But on the fourth day, if that person was not resuscitated, they'd be like, okay, call it. And so Jesus stays away two days. And that's why I think verse 15 is so important, so that you may believe. And I think that Jesus is saying that to us here in our chairs this morning. He stayed back, I think, two days to say without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus raises the dead, absolutely. And not just then, but he's pointing to his own death and resurrection in verse 15 so that you may believe what? That Jesus can raise the dead? Yeah, great, sure. But that Jesus will one day, so that you may believe what? That Jesus will one day walk out of the tomb just like he's about ready to do to Lazarus. That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the one who conquers death once and for all. So that you may believe that Jesus himself will walk out of the grave. For your sakes, Passover's coming, man. Last Supper's rolling through, dude. It's like a week away. Believe what? They'd already seen him raise the dead, that he would be resurrected. 
And that that resurrection comes from a place of love and deep affection for you and for me and for his friend Lazarus, which leads him to say in verse 25 that Jesus says this shocking statement um, that he is the resurrection in the life. I am the resurrection in the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is saying resurrection is in a person. Life. Everlasting. Eternal life. And life to the full while we're here is in a person. That we can come out of the graves of our lives. Spiritually and physically. That resurrection power is only ever And always in the person of Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. More on that in a second. Almost done. Verse 35, oh my gosh, tore me up. Still continues to tear me up. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. I'm using the RSV here for these little passages. I want you to notice how the RSV translates how Jesus feels. Jesus feels. He's not just like fairy Jesus. Jesus is like real dude. Jesus feels things. And how we're told that Jesus feels when he walks that familiar road to the grave. Familiar to men and women, familiar to our human condition. He's walking to the tomb. When Jesus saw her weeping, Mary, I believe, not Martha, Mary, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He was frustrated. The Greek has um, hints of anger. He was, he was deeply moved in spirit and angered, frustrated. And then here it is. Jesus wept. Poor translation. And all of the translations burst into tears. Then Jesus, here later, deeply moved again, frustrated, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. He was angry. He was frustrated at death. That's who Jesus is. That's who my Jesus is. Death is unnatural. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. And how many of you uh, sympathize with, empathize with me when we come to the, the funeral of a loved one or we're experiencing death or pain or loss, the sheer brokenness and heaviness of what the world has become who shared Jesus' sentiment that he was fed up with death. I'm fed up with death. It's too much. And Jesus, overcome with emotion here, bursts into tears because he's frustrated. Because death is a thief. Thief. There are so many tragedies. In our lives. Our hearts are broken. It's overwhelming. It's it's overwhelming 
I know that some of you right now are journeying one of the most painful things in your life to date. And Jesus is saying, see, here, that he weeps with you. To the extent that you feel heartbroken and overwhelmed and stomped down and snuffed out. Jesus is sick and tired of death. And he's weeping over it. And, he, and, the, and the text is that he's, he's now coming to do something about it. And that gives me hope. That the dead will rise. That death doesn't have the last say. That life is victorious in the person of Jesus. And that he will come back and lead the captives in his train into freedom. He will lead us out of the grave, out of death and darkness, depression, addiction, loss, pain. Jesus leads the people out. Out. He's frustrated at death. Listen to what B.B. Warfield says. He's this theologian. He was a theologian at Princeton from, you know, 1887 into the early 1900s. He says this in his essay, The Emotional Life of Our Lord. He says this, When Jesus observed Mary weeping, wailing, they're wailing, he groaned in his spirit and he groaned in himself. Warfield writes, the natural suggestion of the word groan is pain or sorrow, not disapproval. And this rendering is misleading. What John tells us in point of fact is that Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state, I would add there, I would add, Jesus approaches all graves this way. In a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of irrepressible anger at death. He did not respond with quiet, sympathetic tears. Jesus wept. But the emotion which tore his breast and clamored for utterance was just rage. This was not just rage, meaning only rage. It was just rage, meaning his anger was intense and just. Jesus raged within himself. This inwardly restrained fury produced a profound agitation of his whole being, of one of which of the manifest manifestations was tears. Jesus was broken up and frustrated that his friend, his brother, Lazarus, had been taken. And so, here we are at the tomb. Through this conversation, this back and forth with Mary and Martha, Jesus says those three blessed words that he says to all of us. Insert your name here. Lazarus, in a loud voice. Ready? Lazarus, you say it with me. Come out! 
You know, you can visit Lazarus' tomb in Bethany. It's still there. And it goes back as a place of mention geographically. I love this because I'm a history buff. 300 years after the time of Jesus. So Eusebius, this, okay, this dude. Eusebius writes, this is the place. This is the place. You can see it. You can visit it. You can go down into the tomb where Lazarus came up out of. When Jesus' voice speaks, Lazarus, the dead man, came to life and came out. You can go visit that thing. That's like, what's 300 years ago? 1700, so Declaration of Independence. We're pretty sure it was written, right? We're pretty sure we know where it was written too, right? Eusebius says, you can go to that spot. It's right here in Bethany. You can visit that spot. You can walk down the countless steps. Look it up on YouTube if you don't have a plane ticket to go to Israel. Look it up on YouTube and watch. And you'll see people going down the steps of the tomb. Down, down, ducking under a a cave wall to get to the final resting place which very likely was Lazarus's. And Jesus' voice booms out, Lazarus, come up. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man gets up and comes out. Take away the stone, Jesus says. Roll it away. Lazarus, come out. And through the course of this next six weeks, I believe that Jesus will be calling many of us to to take away the stone and come out. There are these words, that these phrases that just echo through history to here, Cleveland, Ohio, whenever Jesus raises someone from the dead. I love it. Lazarus, come out. In Luke, young man, I say to you, get up to Tabitha. My child, my daughter, get up. When he died on the cross, we're told that the earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. Peter says to Tabitha, get up. Lazarus, come out. Because he lives, you also will live. N.T. Wright said this, Death is the ultimate weapon of the tyrant. Resurrection does not make a covenant with death. It overthrows it. Christ put on spectacle all of the powers of hell so that we would live. And here's why it's important for the next six weeks. If there is a cliffhanger, it's right now, and then we're done. John eleven fifty three. 53. Look, look how important this whole, this whole chapter, look how important it is. Verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Feel that? The powers of death are in trouble, you guys. From that day on, the religious leaders who wanted power and control knew that their days were numbered. All of the powers of hell from that day when that dead man came out knew that their days were numbered. 